Introducing Batiste's wet-activated and touch-activated dry shampoo. With breakthrough technology that absorbs oil and releases bursts of fragrance whenever you sweat or touch your hair for up to 24 hours, it's the ultimate hair care for girls on the go. Try the newest dry shampoo that's activated by you. Batiste, the future of hair care is here. Buy Batiste dry shampoo online or in store at your nearest retailer. Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today, we are having our episode number 76. At the roundtable, we have David Salas, DJ. We have Matt Klein, founder of Doctors of Running, and myself, Nathan, and hopefully you don't hear me talking a lot. We were actually talking before, right before we started recording this. Like, I feel physically nervous about recording this podcast, and it's number 76, and I haven't been nervous since like the second one. And I don't know why I feel nervous today. So can we do like a psychoanalysis of myself and figure out? I'm just kidding. We'll move on. Have you had any dreams lately? Any any vivid <laughs> memories that you can nope. recall? Some diaphragmatic so. breathing might be good to get your parasympathetic <sighs> system to kick in a little bit. Should listen to him. Lay off the coffee. I don't drink coffee. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> Maybe you should. <laughs> Maybe no. you need to stimulate that nervous system. Yeah, no, why not? Well, we, we are in episode number 76. This is our final episode of February, which means that we're actually going to kick things off with our DOR giving initiative. We do that this at the end of every single month. This month, I have the privilege of being able to choose uh, the charity in which we're, we're donating to. And February is Black History Month. And one of the organizations that, that I'm, I've been connected to is uh, one called City on a Hill in Milwaukee. Um, our church is connected with them through some things that we do. Uh, but, but what they really do is they work with children and families in poverty. So just a couple things about Milwaukee. Um, it's one of America's poorest cities. More than 67,000 children are living in poverty. So City on a Hill says that their mission is to bring transformation by restoring hope, reducing poverty, strengthening families, and fostering racial reconciliation. So um, I actually have some of my best friends, their parents um, help lead City on a Hill, and so I have connections with them there as well. And uh, they just do some really amazing things for these kids and these families and helping equip and restore and create. And And for people who, who aren't in Milwaukee, they create a lot of opportunities to help people in rural areas like mine learn a lot more about our world. Because when, yeah, people live in tons of different kinds of places. And I know for myself, I can say that how I grew up and where I grew up shapes how I view the world. And so they bring people in for a lot of learning experiences and immersion and understanding. So I think they do a lot of really good work. Uh, their website is cityonahillmke.org. So if you want to check them out, you can, but we're going to be donating our 10% from this month to City on a Hill, which comes out to $202.06. So we're really excited to be partnering with them. Again, our hope is that every time that this is also incorporated, our website link for City on a Hill will be in our roundup on doctorsofrunning.com if you want to check them out more. So again, this is probably one of our favorite things that we get to do now that we have a revenue stream is to take that 10% and send it outside our doors and hopefully help these organizations grow, even if it's in a tiny way. But 
that is Dior giving for the day. The rest of our episode is pretty exciting. Obviously, we're going to have our subjective question, uh, and then we're going to go into talking about a question that we've gotten a lot from followers, which is, what uh, are the best shoes for people who have posterior tibialis pain? We'll dive into that. And then finally, we're going to go to a cult classic shoe for a full review and comparisons. That's going to be the bulk of today. And that is on the Kinvara 13 from Saucony. So that's what we'll be rounding out the day. So let's start with our subjective. Subjective question of the day is, what is your biggest running goal for 2022? So what do you guys have for that one? What's your biggest goal for this year with running? David, go first. I love how it starts off with crickets. Um, (laughs) Everyone's excited to talk. I mean, if you guys, if anybody knows me, the last two months have been pretty rough. So, oh man, I kind of just want to get back to racing and be healthy. Like if I get a PR, that's great. But honestly, at this point, I just want to go out there and compete. Like I I don't... Hmm don't really have a lot of expectations for this track season you know outdoor has already started out here and i mean i'm hoping to race pretty well in like april or may but like that base just started like two weeks ago you know what i mean like it's not i'm not looking for massive times to be thrown down so um just being healthy and getting back in the groove of things really yeah and your healthy was like like getting physically sick <laughs> which is like your for like once you just, yeah yeah i was like injury ridden for a good i don't know five years and then it's like this is the healthiest i've been from a musculoskeletal standpoint for a very long time and it's like something else is taking me out so i've been having a hard time with that but i'm i'm getting back into it i feel pretty good i mean i ran 15 today and felt fine you know it's just it's <laughs> just a matter of getting back into things um especially on the competitive side of things so right what about you matt do you have any goals for this year yeah i'm still trying to figure those out i think for the longest time i haven't really been very competitive i think just i've had so many things in my plate especially the phd so i think hopefully by the time this airs uh i'll get i'll know whether i pass my full comprehensive i just had my oral exam and that's just been exhausting so I'd like to see if I can get back to being competitive. And then there's also a little itch to see if I might join my wife in some of the road uh, ultra scene as she is going that direction and going, well, I'm already doing the training with her. Might as well just maybe think about this. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not fully sure. I think there's so much unknown in my life that I'm happy. I'm just still hitting like 80 plus miles a week. But I'd like to be a little bit more competitive and get back to that because, yeah, it's it's running, but it's not running fast. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, if I had answered the question, I think if you would ask me to, well, I guess now it's like four weeks ago, my answer would probably be different than it is now just because I'm going through the bone stress injury thing. So, you know, I think kind of like David was saying, like getting back to healthy and enjoying some of the running is, is high on my list. I would love to be able to run another healthy marathon. I think this is, but ultimately I think this is going to be another year where my goal is to continue to learn myself as a runner more. I mean, I've been running for, oh boy, 10 years now. Um, cause I started in college. So, um, I think my hope, my biggest goal by the end of this year is that I know myself a little bit more, which means I know how to stay healthy a little bit more. And I know how to kind of optimize how to enjoy the sport and perform well. So I think that's a big goal is just learning. What's up, Matt? 
I think that's a fantastical and also one that I hope our listeners and viewers really think about is that every year you should really focus on getting to know who you are as a runner or whatever sport that you participate in or get to know who you are as a human being more. Right? Was one of the things that we talk about here is getting to know what works for you, whether it be running wise or shoe rise. So I encourage, I think that Nathan has a phenomenal goal. And I think that's something I really, again, hope everyone can can take from. And if you can accomplish even that a little bit every year, that's a that's a huge thing. Yeah, for sure. So we'd love to hear what your goals are. And so if you are watching this on YouTube, you can obviously comment just down below. But if you're listening on podcast, either reach out to us at doctorsrunning at gmail.com or find us on Instagram. That's actually probably easier. Find us on Instagram or Facebook, follow us, and then shoot us a a direct message and we'd be able to see it there. Finally, I think on Spotify, I'll be able to post the question on there. So you can also answer on Spotify. I forgot to do it last week. Sorry, everybody. Uh, But those are your ways to... I know. Well, actually, okay, really quick sports thing, DJ. Did you happen to see the end of the Badger-Michigan game today? No, did they win? So the Badgers won by like 15 or something. Oh, good. But but guard called a time... The coach for the Badgers called a timeout with like five seconds left, and it got the Michigan coach really mad, and the Michigan coach ended up throwing a punch and hitting one of the Badger coaches over the head. Um, So I don't know much more of the story, but it was... There was a whole scrum after the game. It was, it oh was super bizarre. Michigan was pressing with five seconds left and they were down 15. They were pressing. So guard called a timeout, like reset everything to like, because if they're still playing, they're going st- to, it, it was yeah, just yeah. messy. It was messy. Man, and that kinda, big 10 beef is different. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Yep. <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> let's transition to our next segment. We're going to talk about the best running shoes for posterior tibialis pain. <laughs> Oh, Matt can come back now. Sports talk is over. <laughs> he like <laughs> literally funny. just like phases in. Like for the for the listeners, Matt like sunk away when we started talking about sports, and then raised back into screen when. Can we, we at least just put a little bit of appreciation for March Madness this year? Because I think for sure. pretty much like I think both of our teams are a lock this year at this point. So. Yeah, batters for sure are. Yeah, yeah, and like St. Mary's has enough quad wins, and like they were ranked until the loss to Gonzaga last week, but. Um, it'll be fun. Hopefully, we don't play yeah. each other. Or hopefully, I hope we do. Not. I don't know. I, and then I keep thinking too. I'm like, dang! Like, St. Mary's almost had that win on Wisconsin earlier in the year. Like, mm-hmm. it was like that close. I'm like, that would have changed everything. We play kind of similar, so it's like a, it's just a slog when we play each other. Yeah, it's just two like, defensive teams just like slowly to, chipping away at each other. Forty-two to forty-one. Yeah, <laughs> final. <laughs> anyway, Matt, sorry. We're gonna now jump into talking about what are the best running shoes for posterior tibialis pain. Uh, we have got, the reason we're doing this one is we get questions like this all the time. What's the best shoe for this? What's the best shoe for that? So this is one we get a lot, and so we wanted to talk about it. And we are going to do a very, very brief intro to anatomy just so that people know what we're talking about and what it feels like, and then we'll start talking about what can cause it. So, Matt, why don't you give us a, a brief anatomy and uh, function review? Right. So we're missing a little part here, but so the posterior tibialis, most people will, t- when they, it, when they're having an issue with it, they'll have symptoms on the inner side of the leg, especially this, this bone right here is your medial malleolus, right? You'll feel that, that, that inner ankle bump. 
Um, it, when you, if you trace along the back of that and coming down this direction, that's usual people have their symptoms. That's the tendon portion. So if you're having more of a tendonitis or tendinosis here, you'll get some symptoms through there. The muscle is up higher here and it sits behind the calf. So people will say, oh, I've got some like inner leg pain. Oftentimes people will call this, they can sometimes be called shin splints, which is not a great term because that that's like saying someone has low back pain. It doesn't tell you what it is. It just says they have symptoms in that area. So sometimes people may call it medial shin splints, but that muscle is more on the inner side and kind of backside deep on the tibia and comes down here. It's function, which is going to be really important for everybody to know, right? So it'll make sense when we talk about what shoes might be really, really good or might, might be something you might want to consider. The function will help understand why. So the the posterior tibialis, its primary function is what's called inversion of the foot, getting foot and ankle, right? So it brings your foot in. It also helps control the inner aspect of the arch here. So when it comes to pronation and stuff like that, it's a really important muscle that helps control that movement. But the thing that most people forget, it's also a plantar flexor, meaning it does something similar to what your, it does exactly what your calves do as well is pushing that foot down. So the two points where you can really stress it is landing and then coming forward. And as your foot, your tibia comes forward here, it's got to stretch a little bit and you're also pronating here. So that's one point it can get stressed. The other point is when you turn around and you go into propulsive phase and you're going to push off here, right? So that also works and that can be another area where it gets irritated. So when you're flying to the ground, when your foot's off the ground, not usually an issue for most people, but when you land and you're transitioning and your foot's on the ground, that's usually where people will have more posterior tibial issues if they're if they're having some symptoms. It's one that is a part of shock absorption and mm -hmm. propulsion. Yes. It kind of makes it that maybe one of the reasons it's more kind of more common, but there's some other factors yeah. there. Does the um, post tib help with resupination of the foot? Yeah, that's a really important part. And that's something I kind of forgot to mention is as it, so it's when you land and you're pronating or everting, however you want to say that, that's eccentric control from the post tip. So it's being lengthened, which is the most force you can put through the tendon and muscle. But then once you go back into propulsion, it that's where it needs to help your foot invert and resupinate and come off. And a lot of people when they, some people, when they pronate, they'll go in and then out. And we've seen from some of the literature that that's actually not a problem when it comes to like issues. It's when you pronate and you stay there and you don't resupinate and you just push off from that, that place that that can be a problem. Um, there's some issues that that's been associated with Achilles tendinopathy, um, supposed to your tibial tendinopathy because you just stay there. So it is, it's supposed to help pull you back out. And the point is, again, because as you invert and you resupinate, the foot becomes a rigid lever. So it's a more stable platform for you to push off from. Yeah. What you got, DJ? Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. But usually what I tell people is pronation isn't the enemy. Uncontrolled pronation is. So if you can't resupinate, you don't have that stability, you're going to start blowing through some passive tissues and or active tissues that are stabilizing or doing their best to stabilize such as the tib post so i think so much of it is that eccentric component and that shock absorption piece that we we're talking about mm -hmm. so that's all just i think that i think we found our sound bite for the whole episode right there what's that timestamp? <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> hey get that timestamp. stamp yeah. <laughs> no that's awesome i think that's a great way to put it uh, and just Matt mentioned two areas where people feel pain with tib post. One is on the inner side of the ankle. The other one is up higher in the shin uh, that, you know, when people talk about shin splints, we're not talking about that one today. We're talking about tib post pain down by the inside of the ankle. 
we should, we'll definitely do a shin splints episode and dive into that because we have also had a lot of questions about that, but that's not today. So what are a couple of things? I mean, you guys mentioned the idea about uncontrolled pronation, um, staying in pronation and not resupinating. What are some predisposing factors that, that might, uh, lead to pain in that region, whether within the muscle itself or up the chain or mechanics, whatever. Both David and I knocked on it, and I think he did a, a great job of, of expressing that, again, if you don't have very good movement control there, where if you're just, you know, pronation is not a bad thing, but if you're just slamming down and you're not coming back out of it, that's a lot of stress through that area. So not being able to control that movement and get back out of it is definitely one. So there's a lot of things that can contribute to that. So, you know, instability in the foot and ankle, um, having two like calves that can be too stiff right so the tail the ankle joint gets stiff and so you got to compensate somewhere at the midfoot so it might not be that your midfoot or your your post tip is weak but it might be getting overworked just because it's compensating for various areas you know, we could probably talk about this all day but there's some there's stuff also that can drive it from up higher david what do you think totally yeah no i think it just comes back down to that control piece and or hypermobility. So like if some if you're stiff in a certain area, usually the joint above it and below it are going to have to move more to compensate for that. So in this situation, let's take the ankle and you're looking at the talocrural joint, that subtalar joint's going to have to move a little bit more to accommodate some of that movement. That's where you're going to get that excessive pronation. So it might not be a pronation issue at all. It might actually be an ankle stiffness issue. So that that's kind of where we as professionals come in and take a look a little bit deeper at some of these things. Um, Matt did a great job of alluding to it could also just be uncontrolled hip rotation too, or things like that further up the chain. You might not have any problems at your ankle, but that's where the response is. So it's, it's a much bigger question, you know, than a much bigger answer, shall I say to, to the question that we have. But I think what it comes down to is just motor control stability and not just stability, but single leg stability. Can you actually manage your body weight? crashing down on itself, reload it, and then spring back off of it to do it again and again and again. Think about how many steps you take over the course of a quarter mile, over a 400 meter, one lap of the track. Now you go for a 10 mile run. I mean, I don't even want to do the math on that. So it's just a (laughs) lot of steps. It's a series of controlled falls and jumps. So that's a lot. And you know, you guys have talked about pretty much your entire chain can play a factor. Tightness in one place leads to compensation in another. And, you know, that's where we're going to talk about the question, what shoes might work and why. And that is, we're going to give some responses here, but know from us that it always is way more nuanced than what we're about to say and more complex because somebody who has hypermobility in their ankle and foot and somebody who has hypomobility in their ankle and foot can both develop the same problem for different reasons. So I think just know that coming in, and maybe we'll try to explain what type of people might benefit from which type of shoe for this. But um, there are also a lot of things that we can do on our end to try to prevent this. There's not a prevention is never a perfect science. But do you guys have any before we talk about the shoes? Any tips on? exercises to help work on that single leg control um, or strength that you should maybe focus on if you're someone who's predisposed to this and has had it happen a lot? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty nuanced answer to that too. I mean, it's a matter of what are they ready for? Um, But you kind of hit it with single leg. If you're going to work on single leg stability, you kind of have to go on one leg. 
So whether it's single leg squats, single leg RDLs, adding unstable surfaces, whether it's a MOBO board or a balance pad or anything like that, just getting that leg used to getting different kinds of feedback and not just feedback, but working in different planes of motion as well and being able to actually control that limb. Because at the end of the day, you have to be able to control it. And so that's that's a big factor. And then on top of that, it's this is further down the line and it might be very dependent on the person coming in. But let's say they are an elite track athlete. And so now we've worked really hard on that absorbing phase. They still got to explode, too. But they got to be able to explode. They have to be able to absorb before they can explode. So then maybe the next phase is looking at plyometrics and things like that. So, yeah. The the two things uh, David did it was awesome on is that what I when I was a younger clinician, one of the things that I always did for post tip was just like stabilizing the heck out of the ankle. And then you learn very quickly that, oh, that that people keep coming back. What's going on? And so making sure. So a favorite exercise of mine is is the short foot exercise where you have your foot in the ground and you like pull your arch up right, which is one of the things that the post tip can help with. Everybody's done those ankle inversion bands and what have you. But you really got to get people to handle different movements. And so that's why I really, really like, you know, the mobile board or some of the unstable surfaces out there. And it's not trying to keep your foot stiff, but it's trying to get it to move through a range of motion where that post tib is getting loaded or whatever other structure that needs help learning how to go. How can I deal with a variety of motion? And then, as David mentioned, one of the things that's most often missed by people in terms of return to sport, and we've seen this in the literature, is getting people into doing plyos, which is, you know, not just hopping once, but it's going, can you land and bounce back? And just be warned for the people listening that don't just go out there and go do like 50 of these because, you know, plyometrics, when you do them right, are very intense. Less is more and yes, there's a lot of benefit you can get from them. They're also very risky and very in, like very injury risky if you're not careful with them. So it's a very important thing to get people back into doing. You just got to make sure you're doing it at the right time and you're ready. But plyometrics are really important for end stage, especially post-tib. And then I got to give a shout out to the calves as well. Another like if you're really having positive issues, it is a plantar flexor. So getting making sure you can do 25 or more single leg heel raises again, single leg, really great way to load that and just make sure everybody's playing nice. Yeah, that with the plantar flexors, but also bend those knees, work those soleus muscles too. Yeah. But on top of that, the antagonist is equally important because if you're talking about a shock absorption phase here, let's say you're a heel striker and you're landing. On the front side of that shin, the tibialis anterior also has to control that ankle on the way down. So one of the things that I'll do a lot of times is I'll get people in a flexed position. I'll have them basically put their back against the wall and walk their feet out. So that way the leg's out in front of them, and then they have to quite literally pull their foot and ankle up and then lower it down slowly and go back and forth till they get a nice little burn in the shin there. It won't take too long. That's quite hard to do. So working on just building stability. One other exercise that I'll add in there that's one of my favorites from like a full chain exercise is I'll have somebody do a banded standing hydrant where you're kind of in like a mini squat position and then the band is around your knees and you bring one leg out to like imagine like a dog peeing on a hydrant, that kind of a position. And then I like to have a second band that's on pulling from the outside of the ankle in. So it's like pulling your foot into what you would think of as pronation. And then you do calf raises from that from that spot because then you would just have um 
you know, you, you, you pull that way and then you're having to do, you're resisting the band around your ankle, which brings you into supination, which is using the tib post a little bit there. And you're doing a calf raise, plantar flexion, and you're doing external rotation of the hip. So it kind of works all of the parts uh, from the top down. It's a very, very hard exercise. It's not one you just jump into, but that I, I like that from a full body coordination strengthening perspective. One other question that I had for you guys in terms of predisposing, uh, do we have any evidence to say whether a different strike pattern leads to increased risk for post-tib? Because the reason I ask that is somebody who's landing mid to forefoot lands in a very, you land very supinated on the lateral side of the foot. Is there a more of an eccentric portion there that can predispose people? Do we know that or is it unknown and it could be true? That's a, that's a good question. I, f- I feel like I should know that. To be honest, I don't know the answer. I can say theoretically that potentially, yes, just because you have a much... So if, if you're a midfoot, forefoot striker, especially if you're a forefoot striker, you're landing in that inverted or supinated position, right? So the post-tib is shortened. And then when you collapse, right? So when you when you do land, when you're a forefoot striker, you still pronate. When you're a midfoot striker, you're still pronate, or at least you're supposed to, right? So you'll come in... And then you have a greater arc of motion. And by that, I mean there's more that you have to move to get into what might be normal pronation for you. So there might be, I can see theoretically why. I don't know the answer to that about whether that might be uh, more significant. But I can certainly see that the post-tib might get loaded more definitely on initial contact. But, but I don't know the answer. Short, don't just change your strike pattern just yeah. to avoid or increase load. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's not step one. David, Nathan, do you guys know any evidence on that? That's something I feel I like don't. you should know. I was, I was trying to gather any literature or information on that while you were speaking, like in my head, and I don't. Nope. It all kind of comes down to theoretical on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, because either way, you're still going to have to control that pronation mo- like moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And the lever might be – you could argue that it might be higher as a heel striker because the lever might be a little bit longer and the controlling right. aspect of it might be longer in duration versus yep. maybe a higher initial impact on the forefoot and midfoot right. but right. a shorter amount of control time. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. And maybe time on the ground matters too. You know, whether somebody has like a very low cadence and you're and if you can't control it, so you right. sit in there for a long time. There's a lot of hypotheticals. Let's yeah. not go any further. But okay. – Here's the actual question. We're finally yeah. there. What if you had to pick a couple shoes that come, you know, that come to your head for people you've worked with who have had success? What shoes would you pick for post-tib issues? One of the, the first things off the bat that I start looking for, and this is where you know when we talk about methods to help um, stabilize foot, the foot and ankle. So I hesitate to say motion, uh, pronation control. But so things like arch support and things like that have been shown to be helpful in individuals that have had posterior tibialis issues. And that's actually one of the few areas that we found um, like arch support stuff to be actually be great uh, as anybody that's had pronation related injuries just because the muscle helps control with that. So starting out, arch support can be really helpful. So, you know, anything like some of your classics. I think the Asics Gel Keanu is something, it's kind of changed a little bit. So I haven't been suggesting the new one as much just because it's actually softer. And I feel like it's a little less stable, but a shoe like the Keanu Light has actually been a favorite of mine and some of the patients that I've gotten to work with who have really enjoyed it just because it doesn't, it's still got decent flexibility through the forefoot, but the geometrical stability is, is subtle, is 
works well enough to help help give them some more movement control that's been really nice so kiana light for me has been a good one and it's not you know a super heavy clunker david what what about you it's a hard one for me i feel like it's hard to just say tip post tendonitis here you go you know what i mean agree right Um, yeah a lot of times what comes along with that is either a decreased control through the great toe or stiffness through the great toe as well. So what I think of is a lot of forefoot stability usually, not always combined with the rocker, but I'm the first two that kind of comes in mind for me. And I mean, this, I'm thinking Hoka Carbon X2 is one. You have the deviated plate up front and you have a little bit of guidance up on the great toe and then it stiffens it and rockers it so that you don't have to use it quite as much. The other one, ironically, which could flare it up, so don't like take <laughs> is is the Newton Distance S. Um, stabilizing that forefoot, but it also increases the load on the calves. So again, where where is the impairment? Because if it's at the toe there and that's creating a excessive pressure through that arch, like so like that, that more that distal tip post, that could be really successful. If it's more proximal and it's more in that muscle belly, oh, it's going to light you up for days. So it's kind of a matter of kind of picking and choosing, like, like where is it bugging you? And just things like that. It's hard to just yeah. give a generic, it is. you know. And yeah, I think that's the point hard. of this conversation is because, you know, there's we, – we said this, you know, as our caveat ahead of time that – this is a very nuanced discussion because what causes and what's the problem for different people is going to require different things in terms of your treatment, whether that's exercises or shoes. I think that you guys have touched on some, what were you going to say? I just want to say too, for the record, like a rocker isn't always the answer first. Yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of people that say, oh yeah, you got a lot of ankle instability, like just go wear a pair of hokas. Like that is by no means what we are saying right now. No. Like stiff rocker sole shoe, like that's what you need to wear. No, because I, I think, you know, when we, there's going to be different needs for different people. I think there's a general idea that, I mean, we know that we have, we have some evidence to say that people who are predisposed to pronation-related injuries, which this would be cons- in that category, do benefit from some type of stability in their shoe. That stability can come from, like, sole flaring, like Matt talked about with the Kyano Light yeah. 2, where it's this really wide base, and the heel stays wide through the midfoot, um, and it has that flaring to the inside. So you could have some kind yeah. of help from flaring. Some people might not be as affected by the flaring itself or the width there. Um, a rocker may in theory help somebody. If you're having a propulsive issue and that's where your your problems are coming in, having a four-foot rocker could help. Like for me, I think of, again, the Saucony Endorphin Shift because that's a shoe that's going to be a little bit wider and has a little bit of a rocker and has some of that um, structured stability through the heel counter that dips in so it but it's going to depend on what the person needs and like you said david rocker isn't necessarily the answer but it might be for certain people what you got man right a a word of warning and so like i love rockers in the situation especially if they need forfeit stability but you just got to make sure that when when, with oftentimes with rockers comes stiffer shoes and this can be beneficial from a stability standpoint if it lines up with your foot so i've had patients they go, oh, I'm going to go try it. You, you've given me some criteria going and, you know, and I'll usually, I don't usually suggest a specific shoe unless I really think something's going to work out. But most of the time it's going, hey, this is kind of the components I want you to look for. But 
I've had people go, oh, like I like this sexy looking shoe here. It, I think it has what you want, but that it ends up being too stiff for them. And the tr- tr- trouble is, remember the, the post tip is also a plantar flexor, so it helps push off. If the shoe is too stiff, guess what? You're going to load that more because you have to work harder to push off through the shoe. It ends, ends up frequently, as I've seen, irritating it more. Um, even during walking. So just make sure if you're going to use a rockered shoe, which may help for certain people, it's got to line up with your mechanics just right. If it doesn't, it can make it, it might make it worse. It might make it better, but just caution and trying to figure out what works for you again. Agreed. And, and a little hint of going forward, Adidas is going to yeah. be releasing a fifth iteration of Solar Glide, but that seems to be a shoe that's working quite well for me in that category as well. And it's actually partially due to that forefoot flaring, especially mm-hmm. medially. And also, it's not all boost either. It's the combination of that EVA topsole and the boost layer and the integ- the integration of that and the landing through the platform. The toe spring isn't super strong on it, but it has that LEP system through the midfoot. And it kind of extends into the forefoot, so you get some of that stability, but it's still flexible and lets you do your thing as you roll off of it. And for me, it works pretty well but we're not doing a review of that but things to look at (laughs) where is the instability extends both in the forefoot and the heel both medially laterally and both of them so it's an interesting setup awesome well guys we're going to transition out of this but before we do huge shout out if you want to see some exercises on rotational stability, <laughs> um, actually, we David just messaged us this, but he he actually put out a reel right before this doing the exercise I was talking about. I didn't even know. Um, he doesn't have the band that I was talking about, but he has a bunch of exercises. If you go to Instagram, Docs of Run David, he just did one that says rotational stability, rotational hip stability. So those would be beneficial for people who have issues with tip post stuff. So check it out. Why why am I embarrassed to hear that on our show when like <laughs> it feels a little meta and like it, it feels a little weird, doesn't it? You didn't ask us to do this. I did it. It's not like you were being conceited or anything at all. I just highlighted it for you. So Yeah. Anyway, let's go to our let's go to our main segment. We're gonna transition and do a shoe review with a couple comparisons and things like that. One of you guys just make sure you have the specs pulled up. And we'll we'll run through those in a little bit. But I don't have the heel and forefoot memorized. I have everything else memorized. Okay. I, I've got those. Perfect. We are gonna be talking about the Saucony Kinvara 13. Not the 12. DJ's holding the 12, but we will be comparing it. So what does one of you just tell us a little bit about what is the Kinvara? It's a it's got a cult following for sure. What is the shoe? Where'd it come from and where is it going? Can I, I've, I've run in this shoe since version one. So this is kind of, there's definitely, I'm trying to be very careful with my review because there's a lot of bias there. Um, so I was great. David has written his review. So his, his, he did a really, really good job. So um, this shoe was introduced as a lightweight trainer. And then back in the day, this came out right when all the minimalist stuff was coming out. And it was a really nice balance between a traditional cushion trainer and some of these minimalist shoes. And I think it still does that really well, where it is very light. It's This one's the lightest one at 7.2 ounces for men's size 9. Yeah, I mean, that's nuts. crazy. That's nuts. Um, it's still got a solid amount of cushioning. So there's 28.5 millimeters in the heel and 24.5 in the forefoot. And I think that includes the insole. So that's that's, you know... That's definitely lower than a lot of shoes today, but there's still some solid 
cushioning here, but it's non-plated, right? So it's this very awesome, I don't, I hesitate to say simple because there's a lot of interesting things that go in here, but it's really, it is. It's kind of like this awesome, simple, lightweight shoe that's still got a little cushioning that you can use for workout. Some people are going to use it as a daily trainer. And it's really cool is it's kept its essence despite all the changes that's happened in the industry. There's some, you know, that they've definitely rockered some components a little bit more, but it's really your really lightweight, uh, lightweight trainer, lightweight rate, like workout shoe that can also easily be a racing flat for a lot of people. So I feel like we were talking about performance trainers last time, and this is definitely one of them that really hits a lot of that stuff. But this version, I think kind of the weight makes it air a little bit on that faster side, but that's also Saucony's advertising it as like speed, 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 speed. So like that in in two seconds it was it's a performance trainer <laughs> in two seconds. What, are, yeah. what are the you know major updates to the shoe compared to the 12 because the 12 uh, was the big overall. the upper yeah that's like fully redone i mean the tongue yeah. is entirely different the mesh is entirely different um i'm not sure about the counter i think the counter is pretty similar but um if we got let's both dig of them into side it then side, Dig into the how it fits and what the uppers like and the heel counter and tongue. Like, yeah, I mean the details. fit, ironically, is actually still pretty similar to the last one. I think as far as dimensions go, I think they did a great job on the last upper, and I think they did a great job on this upper. But I think it comes down to the materials. The mesh is much more of an airy mesh. It feels more like a plush kind of premium trainer, but it's still stripped down, which is really interesting from a weight perspective because they were able to drop the weight make that tongue a little bit more padded. If you look at the original one, this is a thin tongue. I mean, we're talking about like a little like suede thing right here. And I know that some people had a little bit of irritation with that. Um, I actually liked it, but they did a great job with the update as well. And so it's a little bit more of an airy mesh upper. There's still some overlays that go through that do help support things around there. The counter um, kind of funnels right into the sidewall, just like the last model did so really those are kind of the big changes is like the actual material itself where it feels a little bit more plush and comfortable but it's also still lighter and more airy which is a weird kind contrasting of like double to make yeah so i think they did a great job i mean i honestly forgot it was on my foot a lot of times so mm. rigid heel count yeah i mean i think i gave them an a on the upper on the review I'd echo what David said, where it felt feels like the upper got lighter. And obviously it did, right? Because that was the major change. But it felt lighter on my foot while feeling more secure at the same time. Where the 12 was fine. It just wasn't like anything to be like, oh, it was, it's, it was just fine, right? Whereas this, when I put this on, I was like, wow, I actually felt like I had a little bit more forefoot room just because the upper is just a teeny, it felt a little, there's, feels like there's a little bit more stretch. But it's still, you know, it secures your foot really, really well. And what's cool to see, like this kind of upper, this stuff tends, in my experience with this type of mesh material, tends to last a lot longer. So when I, my, the Kinvara one and two, um, believe it oh, or not, we're blowing through those things left and right. Yeah. Believe it or not, that is one of the only shoes where the sole lasted longer than the upper for me, where the sole was fine and I would blow holes in the upper and it was done, which is, you know, yeah, not I know multiple people that blew through that upper. Yeah. Would you guys, so this, would you guys, Good. Would you guys say that, um, I know you compared it and you said it fits similarly, and Matt, you said a little bit more roomy than the 12. Just a teeny how, bit. How would you describe the fit if you hadn't ran in any of them? Is it narrow? Is it, like, what what kind of fit does it's, it have? 
it's pretty normal normal for me. I mean, it's normal through the heel, normal through the midfoot, maybe slightly wide just because of the material. But I mean, I'd still say normal. And then the toe box and forefoot would be like normal to slightly wide. It's kind of so how it's I not would a snug fit. You would describe no, it as like no, a snug fit. No, no, but you can still fit. lock it down. It's like that yeah. hybrid between a performance fit and like a trainer fit. Like a like a plush I, trainer fit. That's kind of like the interesting thing about this shoe is that it's very much a hybrid and just like rides the midline of almost every category. I totally agree with David. I think that's the perfect way to describe it. Where it's it's surprising where you put it on because you think it's going to be way narrower, narrower and way firmer, and you're like, wow, this actually not how it feels. Where there's more room than you would expect, but you can still lock it down, so it should work for you know a variety of people around that normal foot width like it's not going to be those who have super wide feet this might be a little problematic um but yeah it's just a nice upper it's got a nice fit again bias because i've run almost every version <laughs> no it is though i mean yeah. this is one of my Pretty favorite solid. uppers of the year so far yep what's really interesting is i felt like the 12 like the upper was fine and it did its job but it yeah. did feel cheap to me um, oh, interesting in a little bit like where it was so thin and it was just one layer i feel like this has more structure to it though it lost weight it just is a huge paradox to me yeah um they did a great job to the to the upper so let's move on to ride then you know this is a full eva uh base you have you know this their little cutout and the line guidance line that follows all the way up not a lot of rubber on the outsole just a little bit posterior lateral and then in the intermedial on the front and the inside. What do you guys think about the ride of this shoe? And and any differences from the 12 as well? Talk about it on its own, but also comparing to the update. Let it be known that I have 35 miles on this and the outsole is still intact. I'm just saying. Hey, just that's actually cool. amazing. Wow. That's yeah, I've always good. been amazed by the Convara durability. Like, even for having so much exposed EVA, it does not shred up. Like, this has like 100 on it, I think. More. It has like around 150. And it's like still holding up quite well. That's the Convara 12, Jeez. but there's no change in between that and this one. This one has maybe like 30 or so, you know? So. Dang, that 120. So, that's crazy. That's impressive. So ride, ride wise, it's still, there's still decent ground feel. It's not a barefoot minimal issue, right? So there's still some cushion between there. It's not firm though. I always expect it to be firm. There's, it's like this nice balance between the two of them where if if you're jogging around, yeah, it's not as cu- much cushion as a max cushion shoe, but there's still some protection there, and it's and when you start picking up the pace, it pops off a little bit. Again, it's it's your foot, right? Because it's it's got a flexible forefoot, and that is noticeable. But I also like the heel. It's got a, it's it's fairly smooth with the bevel. So overall, it's it's you know, it's it's that same thing that David mentioned, where it seems to sit between a lot of areas, which is again where you would want a performance trainer to be. I wouldn't categorize it as hard, firm. I wouldn't categorize it as soft. It kind of flexes in the middle. It almost I shouldn't makes say that. It doesn't easy, flex right? here. It flexes like, in the forefoot. No. It's like it just like rides the midline yeah. of like yeah. literally every category. Is it firm? Right. No. Is it soft? No. No. I guess it's really flexible. That's probably the only thing that it would like, okay, right. that's a flexible shoe. Like where it's on one end of the category, but like everything else, it's just straight down the middle. 
So that, that's the one area that I would warn people about. If you've been running in kind of max cushion, stiffer shoes, you come to this, make sure you take your time because your foot is probably not going to be used to moving this much and having that much flexibility. So do make sure you're, you transition. As much as I love this shoe and I like was like, oh, and put this on for my, my training miles. I was definitely fatiguing after like eight to 10, eight ish miles. And I'm like, oh, I'm not used to this as much anymore. My body got used to it over a couple, like a week or so, but it's different. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have a plate. It doesn't have max stack height. You're going to, body's going to be working, might be working a little bit more in different ways. So take your time. Yeah, I agree completely. The only thing I will say is because it rides that midline of everything, like it does lose a little bit in that responsiveness category for me. This shoe is all you. It lets you do you. So what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. But um, the one thing I noticed through the forefoot, it's a little bit slappy at fast paces. Everything else is fine. But when you're really trying to turn over and go fast, like because of how much flexibility is here, it can be a little bit slappy up in the forefoot. And then it's like you kind of have to like flex over it and then push off. Whereas I would kind of want just a little bit more rigidity. I mean, like in the review, I wrote about it, but I kind of said just a tiny bit more outsole coverage, maybe just just something to firm that forefoot up while still keeping it flexible. Um, it almost feels a little overly flexible for like fast, fast for me, like workouts and stuff like that. I mean, like, I guess like track workouts and things, I guess road workouts are still fine. Um, but other than that, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it covers pretty much everything you need it to cover. Um, so let's, let's move on. We actually have a lot of questions from people. Um, and we wanted to talk about them because they're asking a bunch of comparison questions between the Kinbara and some other things. But here, here's a couple questions that we've had from people. And Matt, this will actually be one for you to speak into. So I hope that you're ready. But um, this was from Gennisman Runner. And they wanted to actually know how they were a Kinbara fan back for the Kinbara 2. And so they want to know, how does this shoe compare to the Kinvara 2 in terms of... Oh, I could actually answer that question. Um, the This version feels like it has more flexibility up front um, compared to that one. And then the upper is very different, where back in version 1 and 2, the upper was very thin. It was that kind of like paper-like material. This is a, is a different and it's kind of a softer mesh so they will both breathe the same it's just this one's going to be a lot softer on your foot what about underneath underneath and then the other thing is the the transition here at the heel is also a lot better so more flexible here and a better transition at the heel because the old the two one and two had that kind of like more blocky heel which once you broke it in it compressed it was fine this just transitions better and i would also say that they've redone the midsole too so there's just a little bit more pop uh in the midsole and that's evolved over that would would you say that this is like going back to roots at all um or is it just so different now like there's just a different world that the original canvars don't exist i i don't think that's the right way did i not answer the original question no, you did I just going I, you off did. no you definitely did okay. no you did okay that does happen a lot so i don't it's the originals are not dead it's this is just an evolution where if you put this on you'd be like yeah this is a kinvara is it a refined kinvara is it is it has it evolved since then yes but it's not dead it still carries that 
it's kind of like yeah. soul. Cool. No pun. Intended. No pun. Yeah. yeah. Karen, the soul. It has not lost its soul. <laughs> Actually, I saw a pretty cool photo. It's, it's fairly durable. There was, was like a trailhead and it said something. It was like lost souls. And then it was just like a bunch of like shoes like hanging off of it. Oh, that's it was a pretty sweet picture. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I do have to say is that it's not as good on trails anymore. That was one thing with the triangular lugs from ber- the early versions. It actually gave really good grip on trails. And I used the original Carvara's as trail shoes. This I would not do. This does not This does not have that same kind of grip. This is definitely more of a road shoe. Although David would probably argue with me because everything apparently is a trail shoe in his eyes. Yeah, that's my bad. I definitely took the Endorphin Pro through like a good six miles of trail today. <laughs> let's it's not optimal whereas the lugs and the original ones dug in better don't, could you do don't it? do yeah. as we do but all right next question yeah. is from maro campa um and he wants to know comparing what's it like to compare this shoe to the new balance rebel v2 so i i don't know i haven't ran in this version yet like i said but you're looking at like is stand is is kind of traditional as we get all the way to what New Balance is doing in there, like when they're trying to push the envelope. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities, but there's a couple of big differences as well. I mean, I think the first one's a pretty obvious one. We're talking about different midsoles. This one is a super critical, very soft, very bouncy midsole. That changes a lot of things. However, they're similar weights. They're, you know, for the most part, for all intents and purposes, they're both performance trainers, both relatively flexible and can get the job done, kind of like that Swiss Army knife of a shoe. There's a little bit more rigidity here. So I feel like I get a little bit more snappiness and responsiveness, and I think some of it's just quite literally from outsole coverage. There's no plate or anything in there. Whereas, like I said earlier, this shoe is literally all you. I mean, it's there's a certain purity aspect to that, but this is kind of like that bridge where you're starting to approach a shoe that can handle the track a little more, and it's a little bit faster and snappier and you can really just like pound into it. So they're similar in the aspect of like weight and drop ratio and category. But as far as the ride goes, I think this is going to lean a little bit more into that faster realm where this is probably going to lean a little bit more into that trainer realm. Um, this again, different this midsoles, faster different meaning rigidity. rebel. This faster you held up yeah, the rebel. Sorry, this, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, for the listeners. <laughs> The the Rebel's going to lean a little bit faster, a little bit more performance-ready, whereas the Convara is going to lean a little bit more into that trainer category. Um, not that you can't go fast or slow in either. That's just kind of where they start to delineate on that that um, spectrum there. So, I find it so interesting that, like you said, on paper, they're relatively similar shoes from... You know, if you again, if you were to look on paper, besides the besides the midsole material, which is obviously a huge difference, and I think that creates two very different experiences. Where I don't think you would be able to say if you like the Kinvara, you'll probably also like the Rebel, because they're right, like, they're they're different they're they're different shoes, but they because of that midsole, and I think you get that new age kind of bounce cushion feel from the rebel and then like you said this shoe the kinvara i'm speaking about the 12 for me but that shoe's all you where you got to put it in there whereas the rebel's gonna feel like it's given given back or gives you a soft feel because that's like one of the softer foams that you'll that you'll step on besides of course the bondi x right dj oh yeah the softest totally that should be a dor subjective question is the bondi x soft or firm 
Oh my goodness. If we drop this, <laughs> drop it in the comments right now. Like if you are listening to this, is the Bondi X soft or firm? That thing, max cushion, sure. But that thing is firm. I I might have to go buy Snail's Pace here. This is a local running company near me, and so I might have to try it on to be the tiebreaker. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's so one firm. of the softer softer foams I've ever put on. Um, and and DJ had a very it's like opposite the experience. definition of a firm rocker. Like it's just like a dense it's, foam I, with a stiff. plate, and it's just rockered the heck out of like. No, it's not it's soft. A soft foam. Not soft. <laughs> This is exactly why we usually have multiple testers because everybody, their perception of this can vary. But you know vary, what does right? soften it? So. The crash pad. <laughs> I agree. All right, let's move on. Um, uh, ben Faulkner is asking, uh, comparing the Kinvara 13 to the Atreyu base model V2, which we have not tested, but we have tested V1. So DJ, why don't you talk about similarities, differences between those two? Um, there's a very, very slight heel bevel, but we're talking real slight. Whereas you're going to have a little bit of more of a geometrical component on the Kinvara. So a little bit more of a rounding through the heel, a little bit of a toe spring. I mean, it's still pretty flat. Like it's not much. It relies more on the flexibility. Whereas like here, you're going to have a little bit more toe spring and a little bit more just rigidity through that platform. So they're both slabs of EVA. They both let you do you, but in different ways. The, the, the EVA that Atreyu uses is just firmer. And that's the entire base and platform that it sits on and goes through. And there's just less of it in the forefoot. And then it just it goes and it flexes more there. But that's really the only place in the shoe that allows for that. Whereas the Canvara is just really flexible throughout. Like I can just bend and do whatever I want with that shoe, whereas I can't quite do that with the Atreyu. So there's a little bit more of a geometrical thing going on with the Kinvara. A lot more flexibility throughout the sole. <laughs> um, but that's essentially the main difference. I mean, the Atreyu might be a tiny bit snappier. I don't I don't know. The, the traction on these aren't great either, so it's kind of hard where like... This EVA does seem to grip the road a little bit more. Like the ridges here seem to do a pretty good job. Whereas on the these Kinvara. ones on the Kinvara, yeah, on the Kinvara it seems to grip the road a little bit more. You can kind of just see that on the camera that it's a little bit deeper. Whereas like they exist here, but on the Atreyu, but they just don't really like my finger can just kind of slide all over them and then it kind of has a little bit of a dynamic flexibility to it. But overall, again, similar but different. Um the upper lockdown is way better on the Convara, though. Like, the way it wraps and gets you onto that platform. This is kind of like a very basic, just, like, it's a very basic upper that laces down and does its job, but it's really, there's not much else to it. Um, Keeping in mind that this is V1, and they do have a new Exactly, shoe, so, so I have an version 2. Like, I'm happy to test it if anybody from Atreyu is listening, but, um, yeah, awesome. I enjoyed Atreyu V1, would like V2, but... Um, I think the biggest comparison actually would be <laughs> actually never mind. I, well, L- my next, s- s- Nathan being subtle in the back background, like no, not <laughs> my next question it. was they actually going to be, what other comparisons do you have? That's the final question to wrap things. This up. is going to be my maybe a polarizing answer, and I don't have it on hand right here, but it's basically a higher stack, more trainer ready Hoka Evo Rehi. Very flexible, low riding EVA sole. And the transition through the heels a little bit better on the Convara for me, but overall, that's kind of what my brain goes to first. 
would be the the Hoka Ray Heat, but that's a racing flat. That's like a five k, ten k racing flat. So it's it's a different shoe. It's a different category of shoe entirely. But yeah, it's 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 kind of like that hybrid of what we're talking about. And so if you're transitioning into some of these lower profile shoes, like it could be a good transition point. I'm actually totally with you on the Rehi being a very similar shoe in terms of how flexible it is, especially in the forefoot, a little more rockered, really nice upper. Like I really enjoy yeah, the they Rehi gotta bring upper. Back those just, matrix it fits uppers, really right? well. Yeah, the, but different. It, something not as similar, but a shoe that kept making me thinking about it is actually the DS Ooh. Trainer, not from a stability standpoint, but actually how it uh, those the ride. Um, this is is more stiff. Um, there is a little like plastic thing, so extended forefoot torches. That's not what Asics calls it. But in terms of Trustic. how close, trusting, thank you. Um, I always forget that word. How close to the ground this is, but how surprising, there's a surprising amount of cushion for how close <laughs> to the ground it is. Why am I repeating myself? This is great. Maybe I'm having, a, maybe I'm finally <laughs> having a stroke. Just, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> But yeah, I think the DS the DS trainer comes to mind again, especially as a performance shoe, because this one can this one can really move, and I really like that. And I found the Convara can do that too. But the Convara just has, as David's mentioned, has less structure to it, a lot of more flexibility. Where this is a little more snappy. But there's a lot of comparisons. I think totally. Yeah, bring back performance trainers. And I think too, just the polarizing opposite of this category, but still saying like like we said earlier on paper similar, would be this guy. Oh yeah, a little bit more beveled, a lot more outsole coverage. This is the, what she was. Foam itself is firmer. The the what and the is and the that that I'm talking about <laughs> is the Skechers Razor Three. Um, this is the cloak version. Uh, it does have full outsole coverage rather than that panel that was missing on the medial aspect of the original Razor. Um, but it's it's a relatively balanced rockered ride, a little bit of a snappier feel to it, and really the only flexibility is in the forefoot, and it's still not even that much there. Like this is, and what it's like six point something ounces, like mm-hmm. r- somewhat yeah. similar stack 6. heights. Six point four, six point seven, six point four. Yeah, yeah, and the drop ratio yeah, is like four light. as well. I think right. Yep. It's also four. Yeah, so on paper it's pretty similar, but the way they ride are entirely different. So. Such a good Just shoe. to get you the whole gambit of performance trainers without plates. Yep. Awesome. Well, we are going to wrap things up. That is your experience of episode 76. Uh, and we hope that there was something in there that was useful for everybody uh, or at least entertaining or something. So as always, um, we are super thankful for the people for all of you who listen and who are a part of this whole thing again please answer answer the subjective question we love to hear what you guys are up to this year and what your goals are and um, if you have any questions about what we talked about with tib post or um, with the Kinvara, if we were even cohesive just let us know with the questions you have and david actually had a video that he put out through doctors running on the Kinvara. Um, and so if you ha- if you want to check that video out he has more details oh, yeah. on his running experience and that's comparing so, with the Mach 4, which I didn't pull out today, which also on paper is in that same category. So Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, as always, you can follow what we're doing on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, check out DocsRunning.com for all of the details. If you could, if you could take some time to review this podcast, although maybe not after this one. Maybe this episode isn't the one to ask for reviews on. Just kidding. Hey, we want maybe. it. 
Maybe. I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, anyway, yeah, pl- please leave a review. It helps grow the podcast and our reach. So we appreciate everybody, and we will catch you next time. 